Hello, and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is August 15th, and today we have Mr. Noah Simon here to come and talk macro. Welcome, sir. Good morning, everyone. Always a pleasure. So we have been in this interesting environment for the past year or so of rising rates. And you talked recently about how the, I quote you from one of your tweets, the old guard ensures the cyclicality of asset inflation, which is a knock on current inflation, which is all forward looking indicator on consumer price, depending on supply chain capacity. It's not for malinvestment and supply chain expansion is adequate. Consumer inflation is managed. Um, so like what are you trying to get at there is it just that like there is a uh, systemic issues within the system that we've not been taking a look at and we've been getting malinvestment and and uh, inadequate supply chain investment or uh, expansion well there's a couple of things to consider one the higher rates from the higher interest rates will cures malinvestment because it crowds out other borrowers, the government becomes the easy borrower. The easy, it's easy to lend to the government the risk-free rate. Um, so that's nice to see, and that has played out in the markets. We obviously, look at the malinvestment that has been cured in, in crypto markets. Uh, we've reduced the the, the 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 lens of what we see as a viable potential investment to very small handful of protocols that have any systemic significance but generally like the old guard you know they want the system to continue 70 plus septuagenarians and they want their social security they want their 401ks to to retain value such that there's a concept of retirement and there's it's political suicide with regard to uh medicaid so on and so forth not providing for citizens so how this ensures that from well it leads it it leads it leads from the the post that you were quoting right and i'll I'll share that now which was uh came yesterday right so the question is treasury u.s treasury safe still safe to invest in very much so i think there's a this is not an issue of credit rating the United States can pay any debt it has because we can always print money to do that. So there is zero probability of default. So I don't, I don't see what's actually like that. Uh, you know, all, all the Bitcoin maxis are going to point at that and be like, oh, but really there's nothing, there's nothing that crazy that they're saying. Essentially is that, you know, the United States does and will not default on its debt if we need to pay our debts we'll just print more money and pay back the loans that we have and maybe the interest rates go up and maybe we have to make more money but we're never going to default most important for the general public to understand is the difference between currency inflation and consumer price inflation yeah and what most you know immutable or fixed monetary policy disinflationary monetary policy with regard to bitcoin that they talk about is curing uh, partisan subjectivity in monetary policy and you know fiscal policy what they do in congress so it doesn't currency inflation does not 
directly cause consumer price inflation. If you, that ha, the factor there is malinvestment. If the government prints a trillion dollars and all of it goes into building, uh, uh, you know, consumer staples, factories, and farming, and increase the supply of goods and services available, uh, you don't get current, you don't get consumer price inflation. So the factor there is malinvestment. So, you know, the solutions that crypto offers with regard to immutable monetary policy is is nice, but it, it's not the solution uh, to uh, think that consumer pri- uh, currency inflation is, is the root of all evils. Uh, in so many regards, you need to increase the supply of currency. Otherwise, you have an appreciative currency. You don't want your currency appreciating nor depreciating. And that's how you get stability. Mm-hmm. So I'm very much a proponent of a elastic currency in many regards. Yeah, I think this is the, the the kind of fallacy that a lot of people believe is that you know if we create this immutable currency, somehow we can take money out of the political realm, and it just becomes this like tool, right? But I think the opposite really is is the case where like money is a social tool; it is political; it, it is kind of the final manifestation or the the natural manifestation of political wills where here we uh, come to a, a, a common set of terms and standards that we can use for transacting and payments it's going to concentrate the nature of money is to concentrate and those who have money have a capacity to make more money and that is completely irrelevant to the denominator uh, look at what sailor's doing you know how much weight he carries Who, who's going to want to borrow from him how much cash flow can he have in a future where bitcoin has a greater significance in uh, the macroeconomic financial system everyone's good that he has the collateral so that's just the nature of money to concentrate wealthy get wealthier uh, bitcoin certainly does not solve the wealthy getting wealthier because they have money to put to work mm-hmm. yeah and so you know we've seen uh Treasuries kind of like whipsaw all over the place. So we saw that the biggest weekly outflows from from Treasury this week since the March 2020 code panic. Um, you know, are we are we at the top? Like, is this high rate environment uh, about to peak? I mean, inflation is already going down. We're at three percent, and if you take out the uh, the rent part of inflation, I mean, it's almost zero. We're we're at the the precipice of peak volatility where stuff's about to hit the fan. It has nothing necessarily to do with domestic conditions. They policymakers inside the United States to a degree have a capacity to paper over domestic complexities. And Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with the deflation that's going on in China or the very much complex situation in Japan with 6%, um, uh, 6% uh, GDP. So what do you do in a country where you have relatively high GDP and, and it's running hot? You increase rates. So Japan really holds the cards right now for what everything going on in the U.S. and around the world. Because if they have to raise rates, that presents a fiscal complexity to them. How do they pay interest on all that debt? One. And if they raise rates, the, uh, the carry trade in Japan is borrowed cheap by dollars buy U.S. Treasuries because you're borrowing at like a half a percent and you're getting four or five percent on a U.S. short term. 
short duration. But if they, if the interest goes up significantly, that blows up leverage. So all of a sudden that carry trade has to unwind and there goes yields in the U S so Japan holds all the cars for yields on 10 years going to four and a half, five percent And then everything is just a knock on effect. And everything just starts blowing up because of the leverage. So my sense is that we're at peak risk of volatility across the board globally. I mean, so how does one hedge that out? If, if treasury risk is coming, like where do you run? Patience. <laughs> Nothing to do. We know the destination because of the video we just saw. The destination is that liquidity must increase for the status quo to be maintained for debts to be paid from a domestic U.S. perspective, for entitlements, Social Security, uh, 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 our uh, military, uh, those things will be paid. So yeah, they paper over as best they can. So I mean, it seems like the U.S. It's just like seems like the U.S. is kind of in a bind where it needs to let inflation run hot. Like if the U.S. could let inflation run hot at like ten percent for like five six years, and you know, essentially inflate its way out of the conundrum is in because if it doesn't if it doesn't inflate all of these debts are going to start to catch back up and it's really going to become an issue uh, for the the interest rate payments that will naturally bring inflation to the system because as those interest rate payments go up that means more money being injected and more money having to be created um but is there there's not really the political will to get out of it though well, you can't you can't have inflation like that for years. This is Luke Roman's wheelhouse, and that is the solution to the debt conundrum domestically. But as of right now, individual debt composition, people are suffering. The majority, on over half on average, uh, folks are broke. And that's obviously a combination of their own individual malinvestment, you know, misuse of credit. And that has entire conversation about financial, uh, you know, literacy, so on and so forth. But that's separate and apart from the position the average person, citizen is in this country in a very complicated situation. If there's inflation five, six percent for years. Oh, so there's a rock and a hard place everywhere. And the only way from a capital management standpoint to manage rock in a hard place is to find the comfort zone to let time pass. Because all this shit's going to play out between now and a time when, uh, yes, they have to paper over everything and liquidity conditions improve. The nature of reality is cyclicality. So mm -hmm. when times are bad, that's a precursor to times being good and good being increased li uh, liquidity conditions coming off of a period of time where there's suppressed liquidity conditions. And that, unfortunately, has been occurring in a, in, a, in a resonant pattern where you have increased peaks and troughs. So go ahead, Gary, and then I'll come back. Oh, it's uh, uh, time to pass for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the... You know, we, typically when we look at inflation over the last 50 years, the majority of it has been muted or deflationary uh, due to like rapid increases in uh, computer science infrastructure, like computer infrastructure uh, that essentially have allowed the United States and other major 
developed countries to like grow their economies, grow these large entitlement systems, um, all while benefiting from these massive technological increases. And this past decade has seen kind of the peak of that potentially. And I think there was a lot of hand wringing at the time of saying like, oh, what other sort of like app can we make? Like we've kind of figured out the internet where all the apps that you could make are now made. Um, and are we in a new paradigm though, where this inclusion of AI uh, is now going to lead a, a new deflationary period uh, where productivity can, can skyrocket, uh, essentially tampering down any sort of uh, inflationary growth that the United States may want to engage in um, over the next decade or two? I think there's two primary forces in play and it's going to be complicated because those are obviously deflationary and they're going to be very disruptive of our labor force uh, and it's going to require you know education uh, but the, but we have that system completely broken so obviously um but the other force is peak export globalization that's the force that held down or kept restrained uh excess consumer price inflation for a long time you just you export it and you're able to get things cheaper you're able to export labor and it's cheaper it brought down costs of everything um and that's done you know peter zihan understands this better than anyone from a geopolitical perspective peak globalization is is behind us so all the pressure is for repatriate patriation of supply chain especially from a military perspective and luke groman talks about very interesting. Uh, either we're exporting treasuries and the status quo persists, or we're going to repatriate supply chain. So th that's why we're at such a crossroads uh, for the system to maintain uh, any sort of stability. How do we continue to export treasuries to finance fiscal like this? Interestingly enough, uh, there's um, Brett Johnson showed a chart of debt maturity uh, and it, it a good portion of it uh, matures this year. And that's why Treasury is doing what they're doing. That's why they're issuing what they're issuing because they're trying to paper it over everything until next year. And then for the next like seven years, we have significantly less maturity. This is probably the largest maturity in the immediate future for quite a many years. So we could have some nice stability in 24 till 2030, uh, at least that's a decent time horizon to consider, but it's going to be very rough uh, getting through this this treasury print cycle, and the, this debt, what the quantity of debt that's maturing right about now. Yeah, because the last time we went through this period where the treasury was trying to bolster its uh, finances again was back in 2020, right when. They printed, or they were sorry, when they needed to bring in uh, close to like I believe it was eight hundred billion dollars. And at the time, that was a time when the crypto crash happened. Also during COVID, uh, there was a lot of uh, negative events that kind of culminated into the same space. But uh, we haven't really seen a effect of this liquidity drain uh, in the equity markets or in the broader kind of like if you go further out the risk curve we haven't really seen it in crypto yet oh um, so is it the tail wagging the dog or are we just are these like 
is this not something are, are we in a, again new paradigms the dog wags the tail and the tail wags the dog and that's yeah. that's the the best maybe a decent way to explain cyclicality you know, our pressures in the u.s affect everything outside of the u.s and everything outside the u.s is uh, recursive back into the u.s um and that makes it very complicated to digest flows and waves of volatility. One of the most interesting things about 2020 is that it started in September of 2019 with the repo crisis. It's not just a crisis. The United States banking system failed in September of 2019. It would have been worse than 2008 if uh, the Fed didn't bail out the global financial system and actually have a facility where banks can lend to one another, it would have froze. And there goes all capacity to transfer capital between banks. There was no credit between banks. The interest rate was blowing out for a reason. There was no liquidity. So 2020 was complicated and you could get conspiratorial, of course, but of course, in my opinion, and just quantitatively, it was a knock-on effect of, uh, of what was foreshadowed in September of 2019. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't remember, the uh, the repo spike essentially was when uh, you saw what over a trillion dollars moved into to repo in a short amount of time. And also, uh, you know, this wasn't this wasn't normal. Right. Uh, this was a very interesting event where uh, like cash just was awash and needed to be moved into these repos. Um, Without banks lending to one another. How does uh, correspondence banking, uh, how that's handled domestically, I don't know. Obviously, the history is interesting. But for a mm -hmm. bank to transfer capital to one another, it's credit. They're not. No one's moving money. It's not money anymore. It's all IOUs of money. So how, do, how does one bank move money to another? They all have accounts with one another. So they all have credit to a degree. or uh, uh, and, and they're just debiting and issuing um, I use back and forth to one another and they do that with the credit facility. Yeah. So what do you think about the like emergence of our like dollar system that we're building uh, in crypto land? Like, are we going to be ever effectual on, I mean, with the, all, all of the monetary economists essentially say like, this is something that needs to be shut down. It's going to cause systemic harms in the future. Uh, like, is there an actual case to be made against the dollars that we're building that are being issued by like PayPal and other major uh, corporate tech giants? Well, the whole system is inherently fragile because do we don't use dollars anymore. We use dollar liabilities. So the vast majority of dollars are, are, aren't there. They're IOU dollars. So we're contributing to the very system that is making itself more fragile over time. Um, while I have a generally a decent opinion of Tether from a, from a business perspective, it has just a Euro dollar bank written all over it, but it also co-mingles with, uh, you know, like hedge fund characteristics and they have their own internal investments. They're taking their profits and investing in Bitcoin. So all this sounds relatively good, but there is risk exposure. Um, and it can carry over to uh, uh, to our U.S. government securities market, the, the debt market. It, it, right now, it's basically zero dollars in the grand scheme of things. You know, less than a hundred bill tether. That's zero. 
in, in the global debt liability construct or currency liability construct. I'm mostly interested in on-chain collateral, and that's that's quite interesting uh, how this plays out over the next six years into 2030. Um, these systems in crypto are quite different than traditional finance and that inherently protect themselves with uh, sociopathic liquidation, as I say. That's something that doesn't really exist in, in meat space. Uh, these protocols will liquidate instantaneously um, without prejudice. It's like done, gone, sold. And that, that's quite meaningful. Except, of course, yeah. uh, Curve USD. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, uh, we actually saw Curve USD launch a 9x looping uh, function yesterday. I, yep, yep, I saw. So that is sociopathic liquidation to maintain the integrity of the balance sheet. The only difference is it's doing that in a more considerate fashion as compared to just liquidating the entire position. So that's product market fit. It's offering a better product than pretty much all the competitors. You, you can't even compare. Um, and they're all while ensuring that the balance sheet always balances. So, you know, from like the way Frax Finance displays their balance sheet so just transparently, uh, that would be a very interesting page from uh, a curved debt position uh, perspective, especially as it grows into like 500 mils uh, into a bill, so on and so forth. And if it was real time, that'd be quite interesting, especially during a volatility event. And that's the real test of the significance of the system is if you got great volatility, there's liquidations, there's rebuying, and the llama is just going back and forth, balancing the balance sheet, and you see the bottom just constantly balance out. And that'd be uh, quite magical to see. So is the future just fully transparent? I mean, is Frax on the right track here by having all of their dollar liabilities down to like the penny viewable at block by block measures? Well, my, my sentiment is I don't, I can't, I have a hard time investing in traditional financial enterprise because there's counterparty risk everywhere. And I'm talking about mm -hmm. the human beings on the board. Their subjectivity is risk to me. I've experienced plenty of bankruptcies over the last you know decade. Uh, and, and I'm not fond of the fact that I couldn't see it coming. It was just, I, what transparency changes the equation and the elimination of, of counterparty risk and the elimination of capex for human resources and it's just it's just a contract it's just a deterministically executing contract that changes everything from an investment perspective you know what you're buying what it's doing and uh, and there's no subjectivity involved it's determinism no, is this also uh, like does this also communicate with the possibility of uh, onboarding uh, real world assets to uh, change? Because, uh, for example, if you say that uh, the most important uh, or one of the most important and interesting things in your mind is on chain uh, collateral, can that also be accomplished uh, when the real money comes in, which is which will actually derive from uh, real world uh, assets? So Tether's been doing that quite effectively for many years, and then MakerDAO jumped on board, and Frax is taking it to a whole other level, especially I'm inclined to think they're going to continue with their degree of transparency. Yes, so collateral is collateral. Collateral is used to print uh, currency units. 
That's just the purpose of it in traditional finance. It might not be a well-understood process, but that's what the euro dollar system is. So as more of this collateral comes on chain, as volatility comes down, collateral is used to expand liquidity and liquidity conditions improve. And then liquidity is a forward-looking indicator on volume and velocity and lending and borrowing and financial activity. And that draws in more capital. And this is why I said earlier, the nature of reality is cyclicality. So as conditions improve, that draws in more capital for conditions to further improve. And, and, and so once things start going down, they have momentum. Once things start going up, they have equal momentum. And it turns out it's pretty much every three to five years, give or take, and everything is lined up very nicely uh, with, with the U.S. Uh, US average debt maturation cycle. Also, presidential elections. <laughs> Indeed, uh, you know, every four years, give or take, three to five years. <laughs> um, well, speaking of elections, we have one coming up soon. Uh, I'm sure it will be a very muted and non-divisive event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing even from Israel. I, I find that funny. <laughs> Everyone is so pressured everywhere. As uh, individuals are put under financial pressure, financial repression, uh, everything gets so polarized. Uh, it, it, and unfortunately, I think that cyclicality uh, is a much longer time frame as compared to this uh, every three to five year cyclicality we find ourselves in from a financial perspective. Uh, I, I, I cannot, I'm not the best to talk to regarding how long that cyclicality is. That's probably like Raul Powell's warehouse and like fourth turning type conversation. Um, and things probably get worse before they get better. And we're talking 10, 15, 20 year type time horizons. Yeah. How, well, how are you looking at uh, like, that this is maybe a opium uh, question in a way, but uh, I'm hearing a lot of talks of, like, I'm seeing a lot of people that will think that uh, 2024 is going to be different, like that a lot of capital is going to enter the system in uh, 2024. Do you find that uh, like uh, probable? Do you have any thoughts on it anyway? My expectation primarily is the high likelihood of a, a significant volatility event between now and liquidity conditions starting to improve. But I expect liquidity conditions to be better between 2020, mid Q2, end of Q2, Q3, 2024, heading into 2025. And this is probably like Mike Howell's wheelhouse of that cycle. I, I quite align with the way he looks at the world in terms of liquidity. And you know, that's how I look in terms of the crypto space. If you want a positive sub-environment in the crypto space, you need capital inflow. And that is going to create activity, velocity, and price appreciation, so on and so forth. So the same thing carries over to from traditional finance. Um, so the question in my mind is, do we have a volatility event uh, before liquidity conditions start to improve? And what's going on in China and Japan kind of uh, is quite worrisome with regard to volatility. You know, he, he uh, Mike Howe on cross-border, they have great uh, volatility indicators, especially volatility of collateral. And, um, you know, I look at move, I would love to, maybe I'll try to get access to his, uh, his data. Uh, and that is what I use to find comfort. If you see volatility 
go down with regard to the global collateral pool, uh, that is a precursor to increasing liquidity conditions. And that's the precursor to increasing liquidity conditions is the precursor to numbers moving in a positive direction. That's what the Fed does. The, all they try to do is mute volatility while they're trying to achieve these policy objectives. But ultimately, that's their unspoken mandate because it's all about maintaining civility and the status quo and paying the bills and not having the wheels of the financial system fall off. So their unspoken mandate is really the suppression of volatility. That's what Yellen always says. She says... Uh, the most liquid market in the world. Yeah, when it becomes illiquid, that's when Treasury's like, all right, we got to do something. And that's when the Fed mm -hmm. steps in and says they got to do something because you can't have the volatility. That's a great point of view. Yeah, you're right. Well, uh, we will move on to a couple of other stories. Uh, yesterday, we had Maki Big Brother and Zach XBT apparently come to a conclusion Armistice. to their argument. Armistice, yeah, I guess. Uh, Mikey Big Brother came out and said, I will be withdrawing my defamation suit against Zach XBT. Uh, Zach has been, in the past, a great service to the crypto community um, and essentially went on to say that he's just done. There's not going to be any more uh, discussions about this. And in response, Zach actually went back to his original post and he removed some of the language about Maki being a uh, stealing and rugging a couple of projects. I forget the name of which one. Uh, but I don't think it's going to change anyone's minds <laughs> one way or the other. Um, once, it gets a, once you sour the narrative, it's very hard to recover. But you know, it's good to see. And bear in mind, what's the memory of things? The memory of the market. It's relatively small. Check back in a year or two and things tend to clean up. Look at the, the sentiment regarding like Abracadabra and that whole event we had all the all those years ago at this point. You know, most especially new entrants to these the, these markets, they don't see that. And if anything, that story is muted with regard to the significance of the project going forward. Same thing here. Memory. It's probably it's probably bad for like Maki to go to trial, right? I mean, like for discovery and all of this. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so this is this is the language that was taken out. Uh, he he removed who Maki who embezzled twenty two thousand ETH from Formosa Financial in two thousand eighteen. In the four years since the fall of Formosa Financial, Jeff has gone on to launch over ten failed pump and dump tokens and NFT projects. Wow. And then he also removed the language, the receipts back it up. And he changed it to the data to back it up. Complicated. Very yeah. complicated. So when you get into stage there. Is that D5 I'm saying uh, I wonder how things actually went down behind stage there, but because you know, if they now issue these uh, statements, uh, a lot of talks were probably uh, held. On, on lawyers involved sent some tersely worded letters back and forth yeah you do this <laughs> yeah, yeah you know i can imagine kind sir yeah. <laughs> you please remove the language from your website 
you know, in just words like that. Yeah, yeah, these were some polite letters uh, being sent until uh, something was... But honestly, I'm kind of uh, happy that, uh, like, I don't want people like uh, Zach uh, being uh, prosecuted uh, too too early or quickly. Um, Bullied. uh, Yeah, and I think it's it's important to be able to close things uh, without the court whenever possible. Sometimes. Uh, you know what I did not have on my crypto bingo card was Gitcoin and Shell have oh, collaborated yeah. to accelerate climate solutions yeah, worldwide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to address this. <laughs> uh, honestly, this is the strangest one, strangest story that I seen, think we've seen this year because uh, Gitcoin has really changed. I remember Gitcoin many years ago as just a place where you could go and like fun builders in the ethereum ecosystem and since then it's really changed into this uh strange public goods uh platform and uh its political alignment has shifted quite a lot as well too Uh, most notably last year there was huge pushback after it was found that uh gitcoin's dei grants were uh, potentially skewed in a way which uh by by its by its granters right so there was uh like undisclosed uh like conflicts of interest which only came to light after the grants were given um and so it's just a little strange to me to see gitcoin partnering with shell uh, to fund climate solutions but apparently the 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 whole dao had to vote on this you know, this can't be done unilaterally. So they must have said, oh, hey, like, why don't we just take Shell's money and spend it in the way that we want? What's lovely is not necessarily the specific story, but the what it means. It's a tool. Gitcoin is a tool. And mm-hmm. look at all the tools that have been built. The most important thing going forward is look what was built in 16 and 17 and what survived 18 and 19, you could less than 10 fingers of things of systemic significance that actually worked and had a product that actually did something. And post 2020, look what survived 22 and 23. A laundry list. All right, fine, maybe 24, two dozen significant protocols that offer products and services that Meetspace is even remotely interested in. And that's a big thing. Yeah. A lot of commentators actually came out with negative responses. Here's one by uh, Base Carvin Davis. No project has worked harder to destroy their brand and goodwill with the community than Gitcoin. First leaning into identity politics and now partnering with Big Oil. I'm old enough to remember when Gitcoin was a platform for funding public goods. Uh, we also had like Sassel come out and say that he was very disappointed in Gitcoin. And uh, it goes against Ethereum's values, ethos, and principles. Oh. To use a crude analogy, this would be like the US partnering with North Korea. And also, there's like some oil reference there as well. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the, the, the big, big oil is going nowhere. And what we, 
it's, it's you could have the conversation about the drug companies some great documentaries on netflix recently and mm -hmm. the big companies are entrenched this is power it's political power it's economic power and as much you can't it's not you could fight it and you can get frustrated and everything that i preach nowadays is really finding comfort so see the good in things rather than just the bad so i think the most important good thing is that they saw something of interest that crypto was building and that's meaningful independent yeah. of the political shit they want to they want their grab uh, on what we're doing uh we should have alternatives honestly if we get and by the way this is not only because i don't like i don't identify with this political uh, side of things that uh, gitcoin is taking like i think we should have multiple options because these kind of stuff will uh, happen and all kinds of services like uh, noah just uh, said uh, to, to be honest even though even if it's code based uh, stuff there are people behind the code and uh, they will have different uh, agendas and policies and uh, like they will take different decisions and basically what we need is just like other alternatives to fund so we won't be uh, like uh, under the gitcoin uh, like if you don't uh, follow gitcoin uh, guidelines then no uh, no grants for you it's just a tool then you build another one and then another one and then people could align to whatever they're most interested in it's just a product no i know you're going to like this story uh yesterday the doj criminal division filed superseding indictment against sbf that alleges that uh mr bankman free directed more than 100 million dollars in illegal campaign contributions there had been a lot of hand-wringing a month ago when they dropped a, a similar charge against SBF and now we have a, a new indictment against him you don't indict uh, I was on a grand jury once and you don't indict unless it's like oh look at that information <laughs> a grand jury when they see the information it's either like black and white because if it's gray there then yeah it, it doesn't happen they saw something and it was like oh shit look what he did so yeah. this brings up the possibility that some of the people that uh, SBF had meetings with will have to potentially testify in the trial Oof. if there is one and who is one person that SBF met with several times hmm Gant do you guys know Gantler. <laughs> yeah. Gary G mm -hmm. Gary G wow wow this is too much, Gary. Gary G. This is too much. Uh, like so we, we didn't even do the jail cast today by the way Sam we didn't Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> Speaking of jailcast, um, Meme Coin Dex Rocket Swap Labs oh. uh, suffered a, a hack. Well, something happened, an exploit. Uh, and they came out and said, We're sorry to inform you that the team needed to use offline signatures when deploying the launch pad and put the private keys on the server. Brute force hack of the server was detected, and due to the proxy contract used for the farm contract, there were multiple high risk permissions that led to the transfer of the farm's assets. We shut down the farm to prevent further damage. The team is currently working on an emergency plan, and the Telegram group has been banned for the time being. Who buys stuff like this? <laughs> we're sorry for your loss. Uh, wow. Yeah. So th this potentially was a hard rug. <laughs> Right. So the deployer changed the proxy 21 hours ago. 
then rugged just an hour ago. And this wasn't noticed for an entire day. It was probably a premeditated run. I mean, there's got to be less than a dozen protocols that would mitigate this kind of risk. Uh, this is counterparty risk. This is multi-sig mm -hmm. risk. And it's literally, literally, if you just focus on protocols that deploy with, with critical immutability, there's, there's many of them. It either works or it doesn't. And, and this is where human subjectivity introduces the risk. They decided to do whatever they did or or human error and get the humans out of the equation i'm, I'm done with humans <laughs> uh so what's funny about this <laughs> is that the exploiter took 471 eth and then bridged it from base to ethereum and then created the token love rocket oh my god and supplied it and now it's trading on uniswap you can't make with, this shit uh, up close to uh, and people have been buying it as well too i just checked the chart uh it's got uh, uh a lot of liquidity close to uh over a million dollars worth of liquidity and it's been trading quite heavily <laughs> can't make this shit up yeah exactly <laughs> people are always uh, gonna buy stuff just to buy like uh it's the whole point it's the, the, it's a game it's people see it as fun as an opportunity to only view it in rational in a rational mind in a way is not rational, you know, because uh, it's not only about the people who do it rationally. It's uh, also a lot of uh, about so many people that really try to play the game with uh, unrational uh, means. I think. And that reduces to player yeah. versus player capital gains, in which case someone is winning and more people are losing. And I don't I'm not I, I'm too rational for that shit. I'm a value yeah, investor. That's, that's the whole point. You have to find your rational way in a non-rational world. Well, you, you, always remember that people, investors that listen to anything I ever say or we talk about on here, you got to find what you're good at. And, and that means stop doing the shit that you're bad at and find something you're good at and stick to it. Definitely. Uh, but is this the smart way to like to launder your funds yes you take all the take all the hack stuff in uh make a uniswap position and then institute like new farming for it where you can print a ton of tokens and you just distribute it to the buyers and then you have this very like wide dispersal of uh eth across many different accounts that is much harder to track well, he owns the liquidity he's getting all the transaction fees and that's all well of course of course but like you know that that ETH can't be, you know, you can't. It, obviously, this guy is not North Korean because if he was North Korean, it would have gone straight into into uh, tornado cash. But uh, he's obviously got a little funny bone in his body. <laughs> a variety of ways you could play this. You lock the LP, or you know, you make it where you can't transfer the token. You 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 burn the keys, and but but he's able to claim the income or something like that. And and then it's just I don't know. So you could you could get manipulative in a variety of creative ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and let's see what else we got uh, that happened over the evening. Oh, yeah, we talked about Curve Finance now offering 9x looping leverage on CRV USD loans. It's pretty cool. More fees, bigger TVL. Um, oh, hey, uh, Say or Say Sai announced their airdrop. Um, which is going to be coming. They're going to be targeting people on like Solana, Ethereum, um, and Arbitrum Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, 
and try to bring over as many users. So they want people to create a say wallet and then port some funds over. And apparently there's going to be an airdrop. Oh, the L2s, they're so small. Cute, cute <laughs> little proto emerging Marcus, tiny little guys. Say <laughs> uh, is a new L1 or a new L2? Yes. Yeah, so it's a it's an L1 that uses the move language um, for its programming. Uh, them and Aptos were the result of uh, actually Facebook. It was the language that was created by Facebook for the DM project that they were going to launch. And when that failed, uh, you had Aptos, which split off into kind of the official one where a lot of the Facebook devs went there. And then you also had Say as well, too. So that's why they uh, all of a sudden like came out of nowhere and have all this like a feeling of like uh, they have a lot of backing, a lot of uh, money behind them. Yeah. It's the way I've that I experienced it, uh, at least like I, I didn't know anything about it uh, until a few months ago. And then uh, pretty much at the same time, by the way, it was Aptos and Say all of a sudden uh, started to uh, be, be everywhere. And uh, let, let's see. I, I haven't bridged personally. I'm uh, like, I it should. I mean, like, I think it's just one of those things. I, I was not planning on going to base, but then I went and. Yeah, but base, uh, I can understand base much better than I can personally understand stuff like uh, alternative L1s, you know, like a new L2, especially with the uh, backing of uh, like something like Coinbase, makes uh, much more sense to me. Like, I missed uh, the base train, I should have operated the. Uh, uh, base is just starting, I think. Like, yeah. base is really just kicking off. It's just a bunch of DJs like rugging each other right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, but you always but... want to you want to be one of those DJs, you know, early on. And sure. Watch the it. liquidity. Watch the liquidity. Yeah. Follow it on DeFi Llama. You're going to see the liquidity peak at some point, and you'll start to see a negative sub game emerge, and you'll start to see the profits being drawn back to mainnet. Cycles or cycle. Coinbase accounts or Coinbase, Coinbase accounts. accounts. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> speak, speaking of liquidity, we'll do a, uh, a a daily base liquidity check. And wow, that looks great. So at the beginning of the week when we reported on this, it was around $60 million liquidity. Now it's at $150 million liquidity. Nice. So stable coin market cap still low. Uh, They're going to be huge. They're going to be huge. Yes. That's why. Uh, we're... Yeah, so most of, you know... Focus uh, on, that, uh, that's all inflated liquidity, that's nominal yes. price points. That stable coin, uh, the section they have below, uh, is uh, much more informative about where they are with regard to actual liquidity. If you took $150 million worth of stuff and you sold 100% of it, the to TVL of the entire network is the stable coin liquidity. Yeah, but I don't think this, I think their, their tools are wrong, right? Because I think the stablecoin liquidity is actually a lot better than what it looks right here. Like if we look at um, uh, the DEX screener um, and we look for liquidity. So they have USD, USD base coin. I think this is the, the stablecoin for... Maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. I think this is the stablecoin. It looks like a stablecoin. They also have Axlar wrapped USDC. Um, so, you know, there's what like two million, three million, uh, maybe twenty mil, twenty mil worth of of stables on there. More along with some other stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. half that LP. 
but I'm pretty sure the stable section and and uh, DeFi Llama would would isolate that very nicely. Garrett, when is Curve coming to base? Uh, don't know soon. TM. Uh, Curve never uh, never talks about like when they're actually going to deploy things, but they do like. I, there's been some like messages in Telegram that indicate that it is likely it will happen at some point. Can anybody just deploy the contracts there, or does it have to come from the Curve deployer? Uh, you could, like, if you're like really impatient, you could try and deploy. Um, like every now and then, though, you see situations. I don't think Base is one of these, but like, um, we've seen some situations where like the EVM implementation handles things slightly different on different chains. Uh, so mm -hmm. like, it's better to check. Um, and then, you know, it's much more helpful if you launch Curve and you have like some like base liquidity pool. So, for example. Like, you know, the curve usually tries to deploy something like the three pool on Ethereum onto these chains. So it's probably going to see, like, my guess is there's going to be different flavors of USDC, uh, since obviously, you know, Cir Circle and Coinbase are collaborators on USDC. So there will probably be some hefty uh, footprint for, like, the USDC equivalent on base chain, whatever that is. Nice. Well, we'll see how it plays out over the next few days. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for today. So, Noah, thanks for being here. And thanks for coming on to Talk Macro. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll stop by. We'll talk mm -hmm. about headlines. <laughs> Everybody loves headlines. We love headlines. Yeah. And that's why we're we're going to be here tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, hump day, <laughs> to uh, where, bring you all the best news. Where's the camel? Hump day. Cheer. Good old Geico. <laughs> Did they create the best meme in history or what? <laughs> Everyone forgot about that. You have to be over 30 to, to know about that. And in America. That too. But you know yeah. about it. You and watch TV. It. Yeah. I, I, think, I think I know what you're I know about Geico, but I'm not sure what specifically you're relating. Maybe I will ask you later. Geico, Camel, YouTube. <laughs> Done. <laughs> well, great. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody at home. Everybody in the chat asking questions. Actually, we didn't have any questions today. <laughs> oh, DeFi Advisor, what do you think about running the decks? Don't do it. <laughs> Yeah, like, but personally, I don't do it. But uh, like, if you have uh, the capacity and abilities to do so, uh, go ahead. Some people do it successfully, I guess. But uh, saturated space. Personally, trying to, run, trying to run myself. Well, uh, good afternoon, and then have a good night, and we'll see you tomorrow. Squids. Goodbye. Bye bye.